0: For joining for our very candid discussion with the middle road. This is Nishant here and I warmly welcome you to the platform.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you. Pleasure being
0: here. First start with the introduction. Nag- Nagmamula is the CEO of Edelgif Foundation. She's also a member of the board of directors at the organization. Over the last nine years, she has enabled growth and scale for organizations that Edelgif Foundation supports and has fostered strategic partnerships, within the philanthropic network. She has also developed and nurtured two large collaborations with diverse stakeholders that are working with some of the most vulnerable sections or communities to support education for children and economic and social empowerment of women. She began her career with Bajaj Alliance General Insurance and played an instrumental role in their fond- foundational team. Nagma is a chartered accountant from the Institute of Chartered Accountants of India and has a Master of Commerce degree from Pune University. So it's great to have you here, Nagma. And we are going to be talking here today. I'll be chatting with Nagma on how the Edelgate Foundation is enabling social change and impact within the development sector in India, specifically dating women's equality and empowerment. So their initiatives, uh, they have a flagship initiative, Odium Tree which we are going to be talking about, which is which aims to catalyze women's growth through entrepreneurship for a more nuanced social economic equity. Now, I foundation is a premier grant making organization in India. Its mission is to build and expand the philanthropic ecosystem by funding small and medium sized grassroots nonprofits. uh, It's known as NGOs in India committed to empowering vulnerable children, women and communities. Before I start, I just want to show you some staggering figures, you know, just a bit of perspective of why this is important. Now, one, if you look at the Indian woman's contribution to the GDP, it's only 18%, which is, and if you compare it to the global average, which is about 37%. And uh, to highlight the symmetries within the system, about 80, 48% of woman population in India is women. I mean, uh, that's a, a percentage of the total Indian population. But if you are looking at this, only 14% of the women are entrepreneurs. So to share a perspective, now Vidya Shah, executive director of Edelgate Foundation, she pointed out in one of her uh, notes on in, in one of the publications that importance of equal opportunity for women in India. Just to give you a perspective, about 432 million working age women in, in India out of the working age population, 80% work in informal sector which is like very limited uh, financial and social support now according to the global institute uh, that's what she quoted equal opportunity for women would add about 770 billion to the gdp by 2025 now that's uh, just to give you a fair perspective now nadma you know you have worked for such a long time uh, with edelge foundation you have been in this sector do share before we come to you know wanted questions and very uh, questions which Go, go into the sector to share your experiences at the Edelgate Foundation with the audience that had a transforming effect on you, or more of a global question as we start.
1: Yes, no, thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, I love this uh, the topic of this conversation. It's, it, it has a deep impact on my life and uh, I'm very happy to share whatever I can uh, today. So uh, Nishant, like you, rightly said, I was a CA and I and born, brought up in Bombay. So uh, ten years ago, when gave happened to me, is when I started uh, realizing the 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 difference or the difference between the experiences we have as human beings. I think the biggest transformation that gave brought to my life is that I understood what a bubble I was living in. I was a I was a, a girl born and brought up in Mumbai, living in Bandra, and I did not know what was happening in. Uh, you know, M Ward of Devnar, and the difference between how we live was stark, and I think that had a deep impact. Secondly, if we come to down to the question of you know what is wh- wh- what I saw uh, in the in the conversation uh, you know that was happening around women, is like it, it is the most commonsensical issue. It is not uh, you know I would take two steps before and say that we we don't need to support women or we don't need to craft programs of women or enable women. Uh, because we f- we feel they deserve an opportunity. It's, it's actually simply because it makes common sense, uh, you know, because 50% of the world is that gender and to have them side by side, uh, shoulder to shoulder, will only make this world easier to live in and will only have positive impact. So why are we even having this conversation or not just this conversation, many conversations about enabling, empowering and, you know, giving it a lens of charity, which is please enable women because it's so good. No, please do it because it's common sense. You know, so that kind of started dawning on upon me that we will have to also speak about it very differently if you want to make a dent. Uh, you know, it, for whatever reasons, every system that has been crafted in the world has been built by men for men. Uh, with each experience, I understood that. And they were not devious creatures wanting to exclude women. They were just there in places of power and places of structure and created it now when we bring women in bit by bit we are defeating the purpose i think we have to go back and say common sense hai chalo hume karna hai like you gave this interesting data point that you know 700 billion can be uh, increased in terms of gdp mckinsey has a report nikala tha mckinsey assessed that if female labor force participation increased then global gdp can go up by 12 trillion dollars in 10 years you know international labor force a labor organization estimated you just reduce 25% of gender pay gap and the increase in global GDP can be 5.8 trillion. So clearly this is business sense, common sense, and not a sense of charity and philanthropy. And that is something that I think had a deep impact as I started going out into the field and understanding the difference between what's happening and what we understand are the problems for women to make it big.
0: You know, uh, That's very true. There's, it should not be only an economic sense. It's good like people are trying to sort of push that in because then at least some, some of the people could listen. And a uh, lot of, for example, Iceland, a lot of Nordic countries have been ahead of the curve. They've done some, such a fantastic job in getting... Uh, so, right. Now, you've been in the landscape sector for such a long period of time. You've seen the social sector. Now, over a decade, uh, be very specific. You could talk about what has changed over a decade in the development sector in India, or maybe also globally, mm-hmm. but very specifically mm-hmm. concerning to women empowerment.
1: When I had... Uh, 10 years ago, I think there was... A conversation was building up uh, you know, it was it, there was more conversation about the need f- to do a lot of good for women. Actually, if you take it back to even three decades, four decades ago, I'd just like to inform everyone here that uh, the women's rights movement in India is actually one of the strongest movements in the world. There is an incredible amount of work that has happened, not over the last 10 years, but 30, 40, 50 years, where you know the leading uh, women's rights uh, uh, you know activists such as Flavia Agnes, who became a lawyer and then enabled women to access the legal framework. So constructive good amount of work is happening. Uh, when I saw, and if you if narrow it down to 10 years ago, uh, there was a lot of, I think after all the activism and after all the positive work that happened to bring it into main force, conversations were happening. So they were interesting conversations, uh, but personally I was a little disappointed by the action because we can keep saying that we have to do work for women. We can keep throwing data points, but now what? And as an ecosystem, what are we supposed to do? What's happening now uh, which is very very positive is one is uh, we're having you know positive proof and positive data points and research like the ones that we just quoted before, which are saying that these are exactly the benefits. We are this is the cost benefit of uh, you know what it's going to be to include women. Uh, second is whether, whether it's the generation equality forum that happened last month where poor you know globally people came together and saying we will invest in women. I think now investments are being put aside specifically for women. Uh, there are multiple kinds of efforts that are being uh, initiated to put all that knowledge and that talk into action. I think the next ten years are going to be very critical when this action is going to start, uh, you know, throwing up results. So I think that is there a, a lot of talk moving into the action stage now.
0: We talked about a lot of uh, data points. According to World Economic Forum, India Rants at a woeful 140 out of 156 countries covered. Now, in a country that has a systemic problem of gender equality for generations, how do you think the Definitely. class divide is impeding woman entrepreneurship in India? Since you, uh, that is one of the major thrust which you you are doing through Odium Sri.
1: Absolutely, because you know it would be very it would be a fallacy to say that women just need an opportunity and they will thrive. You know, and that is what was happening about a decade ago, where we were saying all right, we will give women an ability to earn and she will earn. So you teach her tailoring, you teach her, give her a beautician course and life will be sorted. And that's the misconception. The fact is that her socioeconomic realities are extremely crucial to what happens with her, uh, you know, with her empowerment or whatever we give us training. So we have to be very cognizant of that. Some of the best solutions that actually work, uh, you know, in real life are those which place her context there. Uh, i'll give you a quick example there is a project we do in you know chobis Pargana in in west bengal which is which is right the spot for trafficking also where what we do basically is ensure that girls are retained in school because the longer she's in school and then in college the the longer you know the the better the chance of her surviving into dignified livelihood instead of being trafficked so the you know the contextual understanding of what it is to be in a, be a woman in the class that she is born in in the geography that she is born mm-hmm. in is extremely important. So that what what you've said is very pertinent. And as people who fund solutions and who an, an analyze solution, we cannot miss that very fine nuance. That's what makes India a very complex country uh, to work in. You know because we are such di- there's so much diversity and uh, whether it's religious diversity economic diversity or simply you know the, the the rich and the poor class we it is something we have to factor in our solution instead of simply saying nahi hoga
0: you 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 know covered up uh, the diversity within the uh, indian system but how do you think the system of change is going to happen now i do understand you're doing great work. there are a lot of other foundations are doing the working a very multi collaborative you know uh, setup but How do you think that mindset, do you think, of course, are top-down policies and you also need a lot of bottom-up support? You think that is happening within the Indian ecosystem?
1: Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. And in fact, the reason why we are multi-stakeholder, we are very collaborative and the design of our solutions is like that, is because it's not going to be any one-person foundation entity or even any one government that's going to be able to make this change. the gravity of what is what is going on the gravity of the issue is is generational intergenerational and it's not it's not an easy resolution See, India also has some very good policies that are already in place. Uh, India has never been a player, you know, it, it's actually been a very forward thinking country in terms of legal frameworks or even the schemes that are available, whether it's the mudra scheme for women or, you know, there, there is just a lot of facilitation. We will have to, uh, like in the Udyams 3, we are looking at the multi-stakeholder uh, interventions because of that. For example, if you are even simply saying that women must be in workforce or women must be, uh, you know, in supply chains, women must be entrepreneurs. We need the corporates to have pro-women policies which enable them to participate. We need women-oriented trainings and women-oriented facilitation, easy finance available to women. We make we need communities to support what women are wanting to do. So it is it is not just the government. It's the it's those the powers that be whether it's through corporates or through employers it's through the ecosystem of their surrounding and I think finally which we typically ignore overall is it needs a very positive family ecosystem uh, which is currently something that we have to battle we have to not miss that as we create solutions which are just you know pro policy or pro uh, you know corporate uh, integration with women's life cycles. So, so I think this blend is going to be extremely important.
0: That's a great perspective, I, and I'll, I'll, i you know, come to one of the, uh, one of the statistics at a later date. But I appreciate, you know, she shared a fantastic sort of on the ground what's presently happening in India. Now, if we look at the World Economic Forum, and there's a very, there's a question. Which is like so global. In 2018, you know, globally 0.6 percent of the women and 35.6 of the men in the world were in, uh, enrolled in territory education, but only 88.2% of the girls enrolled for primary education in comparison to 90.5%. for Now, India, the situation is far worse for women because of this a total lack of, although you have right of education to free and compulsory education act, but then you don't have a very high quality education. And research has shown as also women, you know, when they do get married, the career comes uh, uh, on a back burner for many not for yes. everyone and i'm yes. very appreciative that things have changed in india now if you are looking at these statistics uh, what do you think could be uh, the you know sort of the shortfalls going forward what do you think we should be worried about what could be the enablers which could help us in this uh, situation where we know that uh, you know primary is okay but secondary education is so important for women to or you know going high, higher quality uh, high, upper education for them to have a very sustainable careers
1: Yes, yes. So, uh, you know, I think there is a the design stage a lot that we need to do to be very consciously addressing what you've said uh, as policymakers, as funders of such initiatives and as designers of these solutions. When we're talking about a woman, a young girl or an adolescent, uh, for practical purposes, we divide it into education for girls, you know, um, uh, training for girls, employment. Or financial inclusion for girls, we do it like that because it's practical to service a solution. But the th- the thing that that gets lost is we have to serve the requirement of the woman. So the woman has to be placed at the center of all our solutions, which I think gets missed because we are each focusing on just one slice of it. Uh, like like I uh, earlier mentioned, uh, the problems that a woman uh, in uh, you know uh, faces while she crosses one hurdle at a time are very they're very interconnected to each other and she may be a graduate and she may be a postgraduate but then she may be married for example to a family that's not allowing her to work now what kind of logic would you apply that to say you know there has to be a what, what will you do there so so at, at an at an institutional level what Adelkiv did is about five six years ago we basically defined our mission around women empowerment to say women empowerment for us is economic but along with social empowerment where we said we have to enable a woman to make her own livelihood but we have to ensure she understands her access to legal and justice frameworks which means what how, how does she protect her property how does she access you know even even uh, file an fir if if there is any kind of uh, unwarranted incident in her life Uh, most of us women even in corporate offices are unaware of what we need to do when anything happens that is undesirable to us like uh, i don't know how many of my peers would know how to go and file an FIR because it's unpleasant for us and we do not you know we don't we want to imagine a world where nothing unpleasant will happen to us i think as a woman uh, personally as well as for women we have to think of comprehensive solutions that bring these multifaceted issues together and say, yes, we will empower her with ability to earn. But we have to ensure for that, that she has reasonable access to education. She has access to finance. She has access to structures that the government has provided to, to, to to free herself from violence and discrimination. So I think institutionally we have, we have, you know, gone back to our drawing board many years ago and said, we will, we will look at women as, as important stakeholders, and approach their solutions from multiple layers. And in that approach, we will include a lot of other experts who are good at what they do, because it's not possible for us to be good at everything. Right. And that's why everything we do is collaborative. We have different kinds of experts who partner in it. And all our funding goes to very, very key, uh, you know, uh, uh, projects. Uh, Having said that, uh, all of what we do or a government does or any kind of, you know, facilitation does falls flat If there is no uh, willingness within communities, families, fathers and mothers uh, to want their women to have a better life than they themselves had. So I would say nothing works as brilliantly as desire from downwards up. And that is something that a part of our work is dedicated to how to get communities to understand that their daughters, sisters, mothers need to be engaging in better education and livelihoods. the, the golden uh, egg lies there or or the nucleus of all problem lies there and our, all our projects are designed for that
0: okay brilliant. Uh, i'm very happy that you brought in this uh, topic of rights for human you know women rights specifically in terms of property now that's an excellent uh you know topic that could be a topic in itself when we are discussing but you know you give a very well-grounded reality and i think that's one of the roots is that that property rights you know because that itself creates a lot of burden on women like that that could be one of the factors. they don't go out and become entrepreneurs because they don't have any property rights
1: absolutely but, no not just property rights. You know, how women are brought up and, and i would say i'm also included we are protected in some ways and kept away from some realities like you know you don't worry about it uh, papa will take care of it or you don't worry about it your brother will take care of it so many women don't have access to their own bank account so many women don't even know whether they are nominees in their you know in their in the property of the family or not and then suddenly a catastrophe happens and she who had a husband and a secure life is left without any kind of access to any wealth that the husband has left behind for her and these kind of things that we find you know we can't speak to because as a society we don't want to talk about unpleasant things or you know there's a there's a bit of shame in asking about securing yourself it is so so systemic that that and, and how many times this has happened in friends families this is not about the poor this is about what we do to and and as women uh, in 2021 where we sh- some very important securities that we need for ourselves so i would say that you know we can go and do a lot of uh, projects in the grassroots for the marginalized but it's not like the non-marginalized are are doing the smarter things as well
0: true i mean this also open to manipulation i mean they get manipulated even like you said they could have a very secure life i have heard cases you know people very well to do but Absolutely. That's one of the issues. I'm very happy that uh, this issue has come in. Now, i give you, we we'll could talk about a bit, bit about equitable education as we go forward, but what I want to come now to one of your uh, very in-depth study on women entrepreneurship. Now, I think this is uh, your flagship uh, and I think a very good initiative an excellent initiative taken by uh, ridge foundation and um, you know you came up with a report a uh, landscape study on women entrepreneurship its challenges and impact on health socioeconomic security family well-being outcomes of women entrepreneurship that find helpful in driving udyam shri initiative now yeah. one of the videos i've also playing and you, you had a very good inaugural webinar on this and i loved it i heard some of the conversations i i say that i did not go through the full so i'm guilty you know as charged but do share here uh, to take this platform and discuss the wonderful work which you have come out.
1: thank you thank you very much we're very very proud of uh, you know the udyam shri campaign because it really started as a humble way in which we put the spotlight on the right issues. Uh, we found in our work that a lot of times, you know, we are doing the programming, we are funding good projects, but a lot of people don't understand what's the need for some such complex issues. Udyams 3 is, was really a campaign that focused on not just women, but on the entrepreneur within women. And also try to bust the myth. When we say entrepreneur, we think of people sitting in offices like these, you know, and and uh, and and living the high life of Bombay. But a woman entrepreneur in India is largely that that woman who's running her vada pav stall or the vegetable vendor who's actually a very very uh, you know a, a business person who has who has bills to pay and who's managing her bottom line. And we have this, so this campaign focuses on having women entrepreneurs in mainstream commerce in India and uh, why it is extremely important. Uh, here, are the stakeholders that we uh, you know want to engage and we're already engaging with, we are the industry leaders, subject matter experts, NGOs who work with women, government, state government, central government, uh, influencers in different phases and the academia, because again, everybody has different sources of wealth, right? Of information. And through round tables, through this landscape report, that, that very aptly highlighted what, what are the issues because of which, even if you train a woman or give her finance, things may not work out the way um, it, it, it always. For example, we did a we did a study of you know a, a women and we realized 35% of the women were only earning 500 per month. Uh, 29% were earning only between you know up till 5,000 a month. Like that is a, a woman entrepreneur. Only 11% of the women we had interviewed were earning above 10,000 and uh, most of the women so uh, had never heard of government schemes that government has actually made very proactive very 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 inclusive government schemes that are available uh, 10% knew of it only 1% had accessed it uh, and there was no real reason they were just uh, they just had a uh, they didn't even know so there is a lot that uh, we were able to spotlight we also were able to spotlight some of the things we will have to do together to ensure that there is facilitation for them to enter Uh, like re-looking at our policies within our offices to see are we giving a a, a way in you know uh, are we making space for that participation re-looking at at philanthropists and saying are we actually making space to ensure that women get that access that report is very good and and uh, you know should be accessed it is available on our website at AILGIVE and uh, yeah it is one of the things we're very very proud of
0: let me add on here, uh, I give a lot of preference to evidence based, uh, you know, reports, and I think it's one of the best things which I've done in India, it's just an eye opener, you know, I was listening to those statistics which you talked about yesterday and I was stunned, I just didn't know that one parcel of the woman, are, you know, however good you are doing that it's a last mile connectivity field. And that evidence has come in and it's very good that somebody has taken this initiative, which I think should have been done a long time back, maybe a two decades back also it could have been done and so that we would have much better perspective because you need a perspective when you're doing a policy change. If you're making policies and you just don't know, it's not connecting to the right people. So Now, my question here is, and this is what I thought about yesterday. And, do you think we can do something in which the last mile connectivity is getting a problem? We can get more actors in so that, you know, uh, there are a lot of instances where the policies have been very successful because they actually went in, they explained what it is all about. I mean, there's something like mm-hmm. a campaign like women, okay, this is what we're doing for you. This is what, because pandemic, I think women have been much more effective, uh, impacted. What would we have to be in here? Something I think we can do here uh, as a society
1: yes yes definitely so i'll give you one more very startling data point for and from another report we've been participating in which is the migrant resilience uh, collaborative report and uh, there last year nine million migrants had walked back in that you know infamous very sad migrant right yeah. during the yeah. first wave uh, nine million m- migrants walked back uh, only four and a half million came back to work in the lull between the first and the seven uh, second phase and sixty percent of the women that had gone back did not return. Okay, uh, which meant we've sixty percent of the women workforce even in the you uh, in the uh, informal market. Uh, the and, and like any such opportunity, when they don't come back, their jobs are filled by someone else. Right? In this case, a man. So basically, we have lost sixty percent of the migrant women's uh, w- women during this time. That should shock us and should put us in real uh, worry. Uh, that's number one we have uh, some programs that are run again out of bengal after out of rajasthan where the entire effort is how to create opportunities for women at the grassroots uh it's very stark differences i'll tell you in rajasthan it is a patriarchal society there is a way uh in which our ngos have actually worked with communities and said okay Mahila ghar mein she'll stay in her own house but let her access cattle and make a business out of everything that has to do with cattle because cattle is her property using that creating avenues where she stepped out of the house and became her own businesswoman we have case studies we've been funding these things for 10 years and there's such remarkable result that comes out on the other hand if i take you to bengal where trafficking is is uh, you know the the area i'm talking about trafficking is very high women who've been violated sexually have been raped have been you know have been uh, infested with violence have come back as you know a survivors leaders group and i've been interviewing some of them uh, you know for for half an hour and those those interviews are also up on the internet where these survivors who've undergone incredible violence have been able to come back take soft loans and start life afresh by having their own small stores so you know i what i think is it's not that there are no solutions in the grassroots there are actually very many solutions we need to be, want to plug this gap there is an enabling environment with finance there are lakhs and crores of people who are doing whatever they can to survive and that bridging of that gap is something that we have to commit ourselves to that's what we're trying to do with Anudhyamstri also. We've begun with creating awareness, but this tying in of good finance with, with hard working people of the country is important. And, they, and and our stereotypes of what an entrepreneur looks like or what a successful worker looks like have to be kept aside to be able to trust these people who are more honest than most business people that, that exist. So I think it's it's only us, we'll have to extend ourselves. This work is already happening and imagine if they get the right finance and the right facilitation, what can happen with them?
0: I think in terms of women trafficking, there should be much more serious policies. It should not happen anyway. Any forced prostitution should be, rather than it being left uh, led to the private actors, I think that's where you need a government intervention and you need uh, strict punishment or crackdowns on this. It should not lead to that situation where, you know, you talked about. So that's another yeah. issue which has come in for justice. And I think here India is uh, some measure. I, I think there's been an improvement in the past few years. what you talk, I've wanted to also, you know, check on, there are a lot of talks we did about stereotyping and I think you've already answered that. And, uh, you know, you had, so just wanted to take it on a personal level or, you know, on a level to sort of understand when you are working as a leader, you're a social leader and you're doing a lot of innovation and you're driving a lot of change. What sort of... uh, uh, you know resistance you had when you're uh, talking about uh, uh, stereotyping a woman do you think that's that's something you're, you're
1: speaking of me in a personal capacity
0: yeah i'm thinking both of it in a personal capacity and as a leader when you go into the forums you're talking and you're trying to implement those things what sort of resistance do you have do you think it's changed over a period of time not or-
1: uh, so of course, like any other journey, this this was hard to begin with because I was coming from a uh, from a background that was not uh, my core work, right? That was not my core strength. I was studying, I'd studied finance, I'd practiced as a CA, and uh, here I was, uh, you know, joining a foundation that that was working with with rights as well as uh, with a lot of facilitation. So yes, there are a lot of roadblocks. Uh, also that uh, you know I was much younger than people imagine a, a woman leader to look like so that that was uh, another roadblock uh, also the the whole way that it'll is functioning if you see it's very multi-stakeholder very it's not just okay what do we believe and what do we want to do we're like let's four people join hands and do together it's more um, uh, not commonplace but it's more acceptable now but we were speaking of it six seven years ago and it was not something that was very comfortable to all so uh, yes it had its own journey but i my my personal way of combating this is that honestly i don't care uh, conviction in what needed to be done was very very high uh it was extremely important to get it done and every time something like this would happen you just look at what you're working towards and then the 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 enthusiasm for it comes back and uh again i i think A lot of time, resistance breaks down simply because you stick around and you're consistent and you're repeating the same things again and again. And uh, people know you're not going anywhere. And I haven't gone anywhere. It's been 10 years. Our work has just intensified and that has in itself dimmed uh, a lot of the noise that was around and people have joined hands as believers. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would not say this as a social leader. I think any leader would face a woman, have their own nuances. We have our own battles. But yes, it is it is all welcome because it's all ended uh, well for this decade there's a lot of work left but i think yes all criticism all stereotypes did happen uh, they were met with uh, just more work and more work and i think uh, we're in a good place now and so am i so
0: that's good so we have a um, that's a positive note now when you're talking about uh tree. street do talk about the two things. You could talk about any federal policies which you like to see. You could talk about federal at the central level or at the state level. You did speak about uh, things, but if anything, which you think could help. And maybe you could also talk about a project which you which you if you want to share with an audience. I
1: had said before, I don't think India is a country that is, uh, you know, staffed for good schemes or good uh, facilitation. There have been excellent planners and they have been uh, placed in time. But it's also us who need to ensure one that there is a lot of awareness about it, and that people know them. Like if you take the case in point of the, uh, and I'll take some names here. There are there are uh, schemes like the Annapurna Scheme. There is the Bharatiya Mahila Bank Business Loan. There is the Mudra Yojana Scheme. There's the Orient Mahila Vikas Yojana Scheme. You name it and uh, Udyogini Scheme. You name it and they are there. Uh, Mudra Mudra uh, Yojana scheme, for example, it's a government of India initiative. Uh, what it wants to do is basically provide business loans and supporting women that can be financially independent and self-reliant. And after the approval of a loan, they are given Mudra cards. And these Mudra cards become like credit cards, and they are, the withdrawal limits are ten percent of the loan. It's had a very, uh, it's a very very positive uh, uh, scheme. And in fact, the loan limit in this scheme is ten lakhs so it's not a small scheme for a for a small and medium sized entrepreneur it's a big relief similarly the udyogini scheme the is all about how to ensure that there is self reliance and the uh, and self development here and here it's all about facilitating uh, entrepreneurship enabling that uh, you know they there are they are given good rates of interest and uh, Uh, Here, uh, the limit is that the family income has to be less than 40,000 per annum. So again, it's focusing on enabling a certain segment of the uh, economically constrained. And they especially encourage loans in the trade and service sector and the the cap amount for them is like 1 lakh. So we're talking about two different kinds of facilitation. And these kind of schemes always help in uh, if people know that they can access it, there's a world of benefit that they can do. And bringing that to what some of the stuff that we uh, have been involved in for a life. I'll I'll give you an example of the Mandeshi Bank and Foundation that is based right here in, uh, you know, the Satara district and the Maswar district in uh, Maharashtra, where the Mandeshi Bank actually ensures that the government schemes and the lending is very, is only for women. So it Mandeshi Bank is a bank that is run by only women for women and that's brilliant because women uh, and and the women entrepreneurs and the vendors are are the ones who sell the vada powers and, and and are have their little small stores and are enabled to access finance from an ecosystem a bank that is governed by the RBI uh, in a very in a very pro women environment where everyone from the cashier to the bank manager is a woman and understands the local language and explains to the woman the pros and cons of the scheme but Uh, This massive, uh, brilliant initiative is also complemented by what the foundation does, which is training all these women into appreciating what good finance is, what are the pros and cons of you know taking compound interest versus simple interest uh, how should one ask for uh, repayment schedules uh, when should some, when should we prepone a repayment when should we postpone a repayment these kind of trainings are provided to the women and they are they are put together in joint liability groups which means that i am not taking a loan alone i will take it with four other or five other women and we will be jointly responsible to return it they have almost a zero rate of default uh, because women uh, are so excited that they're being trusted. They pay back in time. They also grow their business in time and they are trained in how to multiply their business. We've been associated with this project. It's brilliant. Chetna, uh, uh, you know, Sina is outstanding. And uh, yeah, so that's what I'm saying that you can have great schemes, but we, we need to ensure that people know how to use these schemes to be able to drive the benefit from them.
0: I would say, like a lot of uh, on the sort of edge, you know, on learning opportunities and education, you know, giving at the grassroots level, that has a tremendous effect, you feel, right? These are small things which we forget. For example, simple interest rates, what's the difference between compounded interest rates? And uh, that's a very, very good, uh, very critical insight because that small thing could change if you're, uh, you know, taking a loan which people Absolutely. don't understand. Right. you talked a lot about uh, you know we, we discussed a bit about uh, Udyam Street. now as a philosophy the, the development sector usually works in um, you know in collaboration model and therein Edelgif is uh, working on excellent collaborations with a lot of actors within the system sure. doing is uh, correcting a market failure within the system market failure is when you know the private actors cannot solve a lot of solutions which is usually the government's come in, but here you have a collaborative model wherein you're coming and solving a lot of problems. Now do uh, articulate, and there'll be a small module also on um, uh, market failure, uh, which I have to also cover that up. Now do articulate how through Udyam Street you plan to collaborate with other foundations. Example, Milan you have, or... Uh, for a better tomorrow i mean you're taking a lot of initiatives and which is i think excellent and you can discuss here yeah
1: yes uh, very happily so Sri, like i said one is it started as a space where we brought the spotlight into the issue uh, that we have to enable that that gap for women to cross because our, our inability of a woman to stand on her own feet Uh, earn her own income or live life the way she wants is not simply because of her zest or desire to lead a better life. It's got a lot to do with the power structures around her and the social norms that are around her. So Udyamstri's basic agenda is that. But uh, when you spoke of the collaborative model, I'd like to also reemphasize here that we come from a premise that we, we know something's really well. And then there are other people who know their jobs very well. And so can we come together and form a force for good uh, that in collective strength becomes much more powerful than we do? And that's why we collaborate. With the Udyam Street, we began with uh, bringing the voice on the table, putting the right data points on the table and saying, OK, now what? And we, we are right now in conversations with different industry leaders, with experts from the social sector to say, all right, we, we need to make a systemic shift within our offices first. Or within our small ecosystems, first to even be able to go at a national level and say, okay, we need one or two, three things change, because the government has been changing schemes and has been making pro uh, women schemes, but it's it's. It, if you're not going to take the benefit of it, then no amount of scheme is going to do its job. So with with organizations such as Milan, with organizations such as in fact GVCS that works out of Rajasthan with uh, female artisans, uh, or or you know the many we work with 43 NGOs, the whole purpose is to say all right, how does how do, what we're talking about in terms of spotlighting, how do we integrate it with the uh, with the on ground facilitation? Uh, it's not a neat and clean process because like I told you it's 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 diverse in different areas. Uh, somewhere the women are already earning and they need a good market. They need facilitation of of uh, good mentorship. And somewhere like in Milan, we're talking about uh, adolescent girls who need to be shown that there is a better possibility of life if she takes one or two steps. So it is, it is broad idea, Udyams 3, but we are currently dedicated to seeing how do we ensure that we plug it in in the grassroots communities wanted and not as a one-size-fit-all model for all the work that is happening everywhere in the country i hope i've answered that question yeah
0: if you're looking at uh, entrepreneurship to succeed i think one of the th- things which i wanted to come back is equitable education now you talked about a lot of government schemes one excellent scheme which i feel is which is actually you your daughter and uh, you know and that i think is one yeah. of the best empowerments looking going forward yeah. uh, do you think you you would also collaborate on initiatives and i'm sure you've already done but On making sure that women who are going through entrepreneurship model, and you you know, you want to uh, micro loan, micro funding, which is an excellent way of you know putting up, uh, giving women power at least at the grassroots level. Uh, Seventy percent of the population in India is rural, and I think that's one of the excellent initiatives to work. Focus should we have now? It's time we get. You know, it's all in the book, but get all more schools going in. Let also private players coming in through foundation route or whichever way. I think? You think that is something? which is which you think would help
1: yeah so so you know at this point i keep saying this in actually in a lot of places that philanthropy is your almost like your risk capital or it's the it's the place where pilots can happen when we can demonstrate that this is going to work or not but philanthropy is not a magic wand that will solve for this what will solve for this is the it is the normal uh, or or the mainstreaming of these issues, right? um, For example, many years ago there was this there was this mandate that came in that every uh, corporate board must have a female board member, one female board member. And while in the beginning there was a lot of, you know, you and cry and there was a lot of token partnership and all that, the benefits of having a woman on a a corporate board or any board are immense because she brings a very different. Uh, way of looking at the same problems and when men and women work together some excellent solutions can come out and that got demonstrated so today nobody has to really go and harp about you know minimum number of women on board oh my god what will we do because the demonstration of that has happened so it may still be a, a lower number than the men but the value of it has been demonstrated the value of this has been embraced and it has been mainstreamed uh, not 100%, but at least it's not a shocker or it's not a conversation people shy of. I think in terms of women empowerment or women's space in corporate sector or in entrepreneurship, we have to all look for mainstreaming it. It cannot become a side conversation. 3 will work to enable that to mainstream conversations, but also uh, it cannot be the it ca- it cannot be a, uh, a, a scheme or it cannot be a campaign like this for long. People pick it up. We would love people to pick it up, and our dedication is that uh, corporates or yeah governments, ho they uh, they join it and make it a much bigger thing, and it will be dedicated to make sure that we are pushing in that direction. Like, for example, we also, uh, you know, when we run the Udimstri campaign, we used Bollywood as a, as a very, um, you know, attractive hook by which people will look at the message and understand and identify with what is happening. So uh, there was a segment that we did where we took the, you know, the the uh, images of the movie Paglet and we identified about you know, the reason why women, uh, when we had a nice, smart headline about women and what happens when they are empowered economically. And uh, it was picked up and promoted by uh, the Ekta Kapoor and Umesh Bish, uh, who is the director of Pagliant. And that has to happen. See, um, that is a small, small example. We can put the seed out there, but we will need many people to embrace it at their mainstream conversation uh the, the puglet promoters didn't do it because it would make them look good or they, they did it because it made made sense writing a pro uh you know woman story you're putting it out there and there is a real, real benefit of integrating these things so we have to bring out the reason why this is beneficial for all and and the, then mainstreaming has to happen i keep saying it women issues cannot be philanthropy based issues we can work for their rights, but women have to be mainstreamed in this conversation. So I remember uh, that, that line in, uh, Paglet which said, Agar hum apna fesla leenge, uh, koi and we use that as a catch line, uh, to, to push the whole of three message forward and the, the film industry ka ek important player picked it up. That's what we are hoping to, uh, get from the rest of the ecosystem also.
0: Media is a major place. So if you want to make anything mainstream, media has to be there. And movies, of course, Bollywood, whatever, documentaries, you know, so many documents. So that's a right idea. You want to have an activist role. People have to, for example, citizens now have to come out. They have to be very proactive. They just, uh, you know, we had systemic failures from the government. That's what I think. I mean, I, I think it's time we have to come out with a solution that okay we as other actors are going to come together and use whatever means to make them also sort of work a lot harder and we also take uh, you know some of the initiatives in which we can uh, just that that's my personal view and uh, I do uh, media is I think one of the best ways to go forward Can we talk about Absolutely. we talked about quite a few things yeah, and we got, talked about and it's very good you talked about philanthropy i just wanted a very sort of a, a bit of a quick you know your views now pay what it takes philanthropy that's what you know i interviewed anu prasad and sure. which it will give is very active that's a very global phenomena uh, of course it came out with the, the britspan group and you have various uh, foundations like uh, ad chandra foundation also i think uh, even dell foundation uh, is you know coming up in this so you rightly mentioned fair enough philanthropy cannot be one of the ways but if you look at the philanthropic mindset in india that at least are globally is changing right and non-profits or even social entrepreneurship which is coming up, which i think is really good way they could have some effect going in to correct these market failures you know there are ways which people are finding innovation to come in and do some work you think that philanthropic outlook has also changed in india it's more impact based it's, it's more accountability based
1: i think we are somewhere in the middle to tell you the truth um, again yeah last decade has been very interesting i anticipate the next decade to be very interesting uh, see the with, with the advent of the, uh, the the Companies act made philanthropy compulsory for uh, corporates right 2% became 2%. the the amended and then it became the mandate so what happened very interestingly is that first time ever philanthropy became a boardroom conversation. You know? otherwise, there was always a segregation that it was a good to have something to do when we all you know have rested or when we all have crossed a certain age barrier, or if the company has crossed a certain profit, so so you know giving back to the community in which they have earned their profit from. so from a from an altruistic uh, you know to a mandate, uh, it did push the sector uh, the or co- the corporate sector to think beyond their their uh, you know, uh, the altruistic uh, behavior, mm-hmm. to think of compliance and to think of their responsibility to those they earn profit from. So that was a massive push. And the, the first four or five years after that, it was really led by the requirement to comply. Uh, and also corporate sector is a very smart sector. Uh, it took them five, six years or it took us five, six years to also get an understanding of the lay of the land and what kind of solutions are happening everywhere. And in that, in that space, the way funding was happening to the grassroots also changed, um, like any, uh, good project. It also came with s- strong cost-based analysis, uh, strong, you know, uh, numbers on impact, good ME, all of that was a conversation that again became mainstream. Uh, pay what it takes if i bring in the example it's a great initiative that basically says that we are not paying what it takes because we want bang for the buck we want best price for impacting a life uh, which is a very uh, apt way in which how you make soaps or how you make cars or or how 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 we do commerce but probably not the best way to look at social impact from that uh, lens only uh, some things are going to cost we are working with human beings So uh, pay what it takes brings uh, the focus on the fact that we are not paying what it takes. So we may have funded great projects, but we are starving the NGOs financially of the capital that they need to get. And it brought, again, very interesting data points at the center uh, to uh, place it in the middle and and, and invoke from the funders a response that, you know, we need to improve on some uh, cost matrix that we are setting for the philanthropy sector. And that's what really this is about that's that we've a lot of those learnings are also imbibed in the test work that we're doing which is the grow fund which is again looking to fund 100 ngos in the sector for their core costs because in the in the in the pandemic we've all been funding ration kits oxygen concentrators but we've not funded even the auto rickshaw uh you know fair for the person who's them And that has been incredibly stressful for the sector. And we are hoping to address it head on and say, this is not, we can't be pinching pockets like this for very critical costs. Uh, It comes as a deal, and we have to be very, very, uh, you know, very, very thoughtful when we are doing this.
0: I'll I'll have an open ended question. You could speak about any other projects apart from Odim Street, you know, and I'll just add something else also. So you could speak anything about what uh, any other project apart from Modim Street, which you're doing at Edilge Foundation. And second, uh, what are you very passionate about? Maybe something which is not being done through any of the foundations. And how would you like, what are you very passionate about to see a change in India? And uh, what do you think could be the ways to change that? So there are sort of three sub-sub questions in, in uh, Okay, so
1: uh, yeah, I'll actually lead from one to another. Uh, bear with me a little bit. And a lot of what I've said is actually saying parts of what I believe in. But uh, there were two, uh, uh, you know, very, very uh, impactful events in my life about a couple of years ago. Uh, one was when uh, I had made that visit to M Ward uh, and seen that, you know, how Devnar works and the dumping ground and the and the you know the the entire the the whole the entire landscape of homes that are there right uh right to the point the dumping ground gives. and uh, the monsoon it was raining it was filthy and we were making a field visit my my colleague and i and we went right down to the last hut there and we looked uh you know and immediately it was like it was like a mountain had begun of debris and there I saw three little children playing very, very happily on the mountain of filth. And uh, on my left, I saw three, four women laughing, talking to each other. And it is very surreal, you know, the, the, the fact that something like this is allowed to exist, you know, that we wouldn't even stand next to a stinking bag of filth that is outside our apartments. But here there were people who are not just living. But who had their and hygiene, hygiene? chori, though they were, they were, they were reconciled, and they were, they were doing, they were living their life, and that uh, had shaped a lot. Cut to the second, uh, you know, uh, time when we have a NGO called that works with, uh, you know, uh, survivors of uh, rape and sexual violence, and they had organized something called the Dignity March, and they were marching. Across, you know, they had marched and thousands of kilometers of travel across the country, you know, with who they they, they walked with sex uh, vi- of violence and rape. There were thousands when I went to uh, it was in sign they had organized a mandap and we went there and there were at least two three thousand people, women and men who had survived rape and violence and who was standing there and basically that whole one-hour event was about saying we were raped but the shame is not ours and again they were laughing they were talking there was a so there was an incredible amount of energy and i cannot get these two episodes out of my mind and i think a lot of the work that it does is is a is a response to things like these why am i why am i saying that because it shows that when life is going on, you know, whether we work or not, people are surviving, people are living wherever they are and their lives will get harder or easier, but they will continue. to live. So what are we doing in this whole social change to enable them in the way they need, not in the way we think they should uh, change. So it's very, those two episodes taught me the value of understanding the issue from the perspective of those who suffer and not those who hold checkbooks. And I think that is, there is something that is a deeply passionate issue for me. And I hope that ADD, in all its work continues to imbibe that quality, we continue to think that whatever we design, whether it's our Udyams 3 or whether it's our education collaborative or whether it's the Grow Fund now, the, the lens that we apply is from the lens of those for whom we are doing this work and what would provide relief to them, not what would give us another medal of, you know, So I think, uh, yeah, I, I hope I have answered your questions. I can't remember the third one, but I think this is what I'm, I'm very, very passionate about putting the lens, the spotlight to, on those who, who are suffering and secondly, build solutions, putting them in the center of it and not our desire to do whatever we want. And with that, we want to move forward. There's a lot that's going to happen in the coming few years uh, with the sector and with Adelgif. And we hope that we make lesser mistakes and we make better decisions to reduce the hurt that is uh, around in this country as well as in this world overall.
0: Thank you. That's a very poignant, you know, you had a very uh, poignant conversation. And I think one of the ways which you can change, uh, you know, we specifically talked about rapes and uh, sexual misconduct, a very severe kind of sexual misconduct uh, would have to be something uh, on two pillars. One, there has to be at a universal level, which is, you know, you have the United Nations, but at top open uh, central government level, very serious, you know, Policies coming in. For example, rapes are one of the most underreported cases. I think in India, we don't know even what could be the actual numbers. So that's the FIR which you talked about. That is where the problem comes in, and you try to blame on the woman. That is precisely which you were in between talked about, and that has to go. And that is, of course, where the society comes in. And I feel that the in new India, the cosmopolitan places are right, right, happening there around the world. They are, uh, they are ready to fight for the solutions. And I think this is a slow-drawn process. But I, this is one policy change. If you want to see a change, I think it's multiple actors have to come in. I mean, right from the Absolutely. top, from the from the global level, from the the country level, and then the civic societies, different pillars in civic societies. I wanted to, you know, as a you are a leader, you are in one of the best foundations in India, which is from India. You know, you have yes. Gates Foundation. You have Dell Foundation. Fantastic Ford Foundation doing great work. But like AD Chandra Foundation is doing, I will give right comes on the Premier Foundation. You are a market leader. You have come out with the best practices. Now, those practices are also in financial innovation. If you want to talk about, it, you could talk about anything like, for example, how blended finance, if, it is come, if you have used any instrument, or how that could be a lever, one, they could be simple instruments like uh, first loss of capital, which in India is already come, but there could be other multiple players, yes. you know. Coming, you could, if you want to speak a bit about that, that'll be good.
1: Yes, yes, surely, surely. So, yes, blended finance is a very interesting uh, mechanism. To look at a complex set of uh, problems uh, with innovative financing right i mean finally uh, grants across the world have done their bit i don't think grants will ever get redundant we will give donations and uh, they are a very important mechanism so i don't see donations as becoming redundant so this is not about this versus that but the fact is that since 2000 i think it was in the mid uh, you know uh, uh, first decade of the 2000 about 2005 year 7 may when blended finance started to become uh, very very important and i think uh, we it, it's also mobilized more than 100 billion if i'm not mistaken about 130 billion dollars since then where uh, you know banks dfis have come in to guarantee structures for uh, infrastructure for climate projects, for women uh, development india saw its own DIB uh, with the educate girls uh, you yeah, know model I, that came yeah. about uh, some years ago which was an um, you know very high impact development impact bonds now uh, there, there there are there are all of this there are social entrepreneurs and there are grant makers so my perspective on blended finance is very simple it takes it, it, we, we are living in complex times with complex problems and so one kind of finance should not work also uh, how is one better than the other honestly i reserve my judgment on that because it's very early days Mm -hmm. See, in India, particularly, we've seen uh, educate girls with that dip, but there is not much. uh, You can say that there are other little, small models coming up, but there's not much that has happened. It will be gradual. Uh, It will need policy support also. Currently, philanthropy has policy support and it makes it tax viable. It makes it regulatory viable, but uh, the rest of it has to happen. So it's coming in a little slower. Uh, there have been a lot of uh, you know uh, comments against it that it will it will skew the sector or it will take the humanity out of the out humanitarian of sector. We Haan, aise hai na are hum outcome, how, like for example it's also not so easy if, uh, educate girls it is about education so outcome is in that sense uh, simpler that okay we check the marks uh, we, we assess we check marks we see how how uh, results are fairing, but that's also one-dimensional. The fact is education is not simply about the marks. Um, mm-hmm. There is there is a lot that comes I agree. To it. I mean- We can say that um, education, it, it may not be up to the mark in terms of how we measure impact, but in cases like infrastructure, health, uh, education, it's doable. You know, in case of women empowerment, for example, it's much more complex, but I wouldn't throw the baby and the bathwater out together. I would say that there we need to experiment more and leverage the benefits of multiple kinds of financing and capital is my personal take on it. India has a lot of maturity uh, to go through before we get comfortable with these alternative models. That's why you see just one big dip. Uh, that did fairly well actually but uh, we've not seen a, uh, an equivalent of that follow-up yet but i'm quite positive that we will experiment as we uh, go on
0: we come to the last question and it's always the aha question we discussed a lot we discussed you Odeemstri initiative you you had a landmark launch of a report you talked of a lot of initiatives you talked what you are also passionate about and we saw how much India could improve. And all as, as a matter of fact, globally, I would say that women empowerment is a global issue. If you look at it, you are very stunned that a lot of countries which are very advanced economies are still lacking on a lot of parameters. Like if you read the report, uh, apart from the Nordic countries, you know, Switzerland, fantastic, you know a lot of things. But a lot of countries expect to be right up there, but they're also improving. But the what good thing has happened, I think, in the last decade, more so in the last five years, is that there has been... Uh, uh, revolution at least i would say uh, i'll use the word revolution because it's a bit radical it's not iterative that there's been an awakening and people are ready to now go into that segment and say no we are, we, are, we want to change and that change is coming in through you know system development goals you have a lot of financial instruments also coming in Different, it could be climate finance it's going to social finance now the social bonds and now when we come to the last question do talk about the aha moment I smile to your Hmm.
1: no so when things work out uh, it's always brilliant that always makes me smile uh, in concept everything looks good but trying testing uh, going through doubting thomas's and then proving it is is always very very rewarding but my our moment was actually non-sector um when when uh, in early days when it was very small and when uh, all these because i was a crossover i'd come from as an outsider and i would see so many things like like i said common sense and, um, and, 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 I remember the first time I had put out a very, what I thought was an atrocious suggestion, ki, why don't we do this another way? And, uh, the person who was listening to me said, yes. And that was for me a shocker because I had thought I was just, you know, just checking and, uh, it gave, and he gave me a yes. And over that year, I think, um, I had made these very strange requests from people who didn't have to listen, but who just said yes. And uh, for me, the aha moment was really that a lot of times we just don't ask because we think we're being stupid or because we think the idea is not good enough or we cancel our own ideas, our own efforts before we even give them to test by somebody else. So me, the aha moment was that, um, you know, all we have to do sometimes ask and the worst that will happen is that someone will say no. But the best that will happen is, uh, you know, something which was a small foundation seven years ago becomes a needle gift now. And uh, yeah, that was aha. And that's been a hugely satisfying last decade.
0: As a social leader, uh, would you like to give a message to everybody out there? Any message you want to share?
1: Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I, I think I've, I've said it earlier, but if, if this message needs to be highlighted again, uh, we have social leaders have incredible responsibility to to do what we do Uh, we also have the responsibility of unintended consequences where we put our money what solutions we fund who we support has deep implications on people who are already suffering so we have to make conscious choices uh, and factor in for the mistakes that we made and not not be embarrassed by those ideas that did not work out uh, I think unintended consequences have to be factored in. and uh, designing for the people who matter, not for our goals, our personal goals, is uh, is uh, a philosophy that I have very deeply internalized, and that would be my message for everyone that we are we owe it to the people that we work for that uh, the right solutions are supported and that if we make a mistake, we are able to address it and step back instead of move on with it. So we have incredible responsibility and we should be owning it like badges of
0: honors. Thanks, Nagma. Uh, thanks sharing. You know, sharing time. You gave a very in-depth perspective. I really appreciate you for giving time and sharing your thoughts. Thanks a lot.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much.